I am 30 years old. I am 24 years old. I'm 30 years old. I am 26 years old. I am 41 years old. I was in an open relationship with someone. Love my husband and my boyfriend. We're in a polyamorous relationship. I am single. I'm in a long-term committed relationship. I am single, but in a non-monogamous relationship. I am divorced with two children. And I have herpes. I have herpes. I have herpes. And I have herpes. I have herpes. And I have herpes. I have herpes. I have herpes. And I have herpes. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. Hi there, lovers and friends, and welcome to the Lovers and Friends podcast, where we talk about all things intimacy, sex, love, relationships, all this shit that you know that I care about so deeply, and so do you, and that is why you're here. Thank you. Shout out to you. Who am I? My name is Shan Boudram, and I'm a sexologist who's been working as a public figure educator for 15 years. I've talked about sex and relationships everywhere, from The View to Playboy, from YouTube to Netflix, but this right here, this is my very first podcast. For the first time in my career, here and only here, I'm going to be combining my educational backgrounds in sexology, psychology, and journalism to deep dive into all things intimacy, which I define as anything under the umbrella of sex, relationships, and attachments. Today, we're tackling the question, can you have a normal sex and love life if you have herpes? I got herpes a little while ago. (laughs) Sure. <laughs> yeah, clap, clap it up. People always ask me how, like how I got. It. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of know. I kind of know the person, but I think the the like it mostly the way I got it was just not being a loser. Like I'm not a loser. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like I'm 32. Okay, if you're 30, you better either be married or have herpes. Like pick one. Let's figure some shit out. We gotta commit to something. Commit. A lot of my friends got married. I got herpes. <laughs> yeah. At least mine is gonna last forever. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'ma take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, lovers and friends. Uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end. I say. If you don't have herpes, you might be tempted to skip this episode because, well. You- you don't have herpes. So what does this have to do with you? And to answer that question, I want to share one of my fave quotes from this episode by my friend and STI expert, Dr. Ina Park. More than half of us in this country have at least one type of herpes. So why are we going to go around slut shaming people for something that most of us have? It doesn't make any sense. And that's what this episode is really about. Shame and stigma, the true silent killers that we all have a responsibility to fight back against for the sake of all of our health. Yes, physically, but also mentally. In this episode, you're going to learn the real and surprising facts about herpes. You're going to learn how to disclose if you have herpes, how to appropriately respond if someone discloses they have herpes to you. And most powerfully, you're going to hear one of the most thoughtful, honest, eloquent interviews that I think I've ever done before with Shira Lazar, a media personality who chose this podcast to open up for the first time about how her initially devastating diagnosis has now led her to a level of love and self-love that she thought wasn't possible for someone living with herpes. There are also two other unique things about this episode. One, it's a little longer. And once you get into it, I hope you'll understand why. And two, I don't do all that much talking because in my opinion, Shira and Dr. Ina Park are the Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen of discussing herpes. So there wasn't much else for me to do, but pass the ball and listen in awe. 
which I hope you'll do too. Shira Lazar is the founder slash CEO of the Emmy-nominated digital media brand, What's Trending, with a focus on social media culture and wellness. Shira is a radio host, a TV host who's worked with VH1, Forbes, and CBS. In this episode, she is graciously opening up for the first time about her very personal experience on living and loving with herpes. Let's talk about herpes, baby. Yes, Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk. I didn't know how else to start this. Thanks. <laughs> because I know that this is nerve wracking for is. you. So I it thought is. we would burst into song. Ah, oh, no, I appreciate that. And you make it much less nerve wracking because you, you're so calm about it. You're like, you got this. But it is because this is not something that people talk about, right? And it's why this had was something that I had so much shame around and was a deep, dark secret for so long for me because it felt like no one else had it. <laughs> Even yep. though we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. None of my friends talked about it. You know, as much as I talked to my friends about so many things that are embarrassing out there, this was one of those things we never talked about. And so, and we spoke about it last year. And after I left your show where we spoke about that and I thought, this is it, this is my coming out. It was almost like a weight was lifted. But then a weight was lifted also when I found out that might not be airing in a way. It was so crazy. It was crazy. And so then in my mind, I said, well, how ready am I to talk about this? Mm -hmm. I literally left that studio. And the minute I left (laughs) saying, I just put all my stuff out there. Best of luck, Shira. An an announcement, Quibi shuts its doors. And I'm like, holy. But then in my mind, I thought, okay, well, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Well, this is the thing. Here's the quick uh, recap of an origin story of this is that I used to work for you Mm -hmm. when I first moved to Los Angeles. You actually gave me a job at a time that I desperately needed work. And it was so incredible because it was on camera work, which I was doing photography and I was doing photo booths. And so I think you were the first job that I had that was on camera in LA consistently. No, It was a very big deal to me. Um, And I got to go there once a week, which was like, it made me feel... Like I was in the flow and it was in Hollywood and it had, you had a beautiful view in that building. Yeah. And so you will always be a very special person to me. So thank Aww, you for that opportunity. That means a lot. And you lot. have always looked for a way to, you know, put me in the fold of whatever you're doing. So you have a radio show and with Ryan, who's yeah. incredible as well. And we finished the show and I don't know why, but you were like, off the record, I just want to share something with you. And you were said, I have herpes and I've been struggling with it. And yeah. I had so much shame and stigma. I finally feel like now I have a handle of what I'm experiencing and overall a handle of the information that people need to have. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, great, Shira, we should talk about it. And you're like, no, 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 no. I just wanted to tell you privately and you alone. I don't want to talk about it with anybody else. And I was like, I think she told me that because she wants me to push her. So I DM'd you and I said, Whenever you're ready, Shira, yeah. I, because I honestly cannot tell you, I did counseling uh, for a, a couple of years and this was one of the number one thing people came to me with. No, and it's true. And as I've spoken to other therapists about this who are friends, they've said to me, and I actually messaged Chris Donahue before I came here as well, who's a very known therapist. And he said, you know what, Shira, so many of my clients talk about this and so many people don't know how to approach in their life. And it's, Honestly, I, I think a, a friend of mine um, called me and said, please talk to my daughter because she's having thoughts of suicide because of her diagnosis. But it's the stigma that really kills. And so I've been so passionate about fighting back against the stigma because that is the biggest side yeah. effect of herpes. It is. It's what are other people going to think? And it's 
all the ideas that come with it because in our society, we make fun of it. Comedians make fun of it all the time. And even if you're not a comedian, you make fun of it. I, I'm in, you know, uh, with friends and people say, you know, when COVID came up, oh, COVID is the new herpes. When that comes up, okay, if you have herpes, you're like, okay, this isn't a safe space to talk about this. Yeah. And because no one talks about it, no one really gets that it isn't a big deal. So when you get it, you feel like, oh my, OMG, my life is over. My sex life is over. No one is going to love me. And just that story creates so much disconnect with yourself and unworthiness. But I've never seen a professional or someone that's known talk about their herpes diagnosis. I've seen them being outed. How many articles or listicles of, oh, these celebrities have herpes, these famous people, like they haven't talked about it, but yet we feel comfortable outing them because maybe this word on the street or rumors, or they've been, they were caught coming out of the pharmacy holding Valtrex or something like that. So all of this creates a story that this is wrong, this is bad, this is dirty, and why me? And it's so fascinating because people shame those who don't disclose. And then if you do happen to disclose, yep. we shame you. Yep. So what options are you leaving somebody with? And I always think that whenever people make jokes, I'm like, think about the person who is about to get intimate with you, yeah. who sees what you just tweeted, who has herpes yeah. and was thinking about how they were going to broach the topic with you. Like yeah. what message are you sending to your future partners or your current partner about your attitude towards sexual health when you pass on jokes like these? Yeah. So yeah, we have to approach both sides. Let's be clear. It's unethical to not disclose. I feel horrible and I've had so much shame and grief and punishing myself because of moments that I didn't d disclose ethically. So let's be clear, like that's not the default that we should be looking at. However, we need to understand why people do that, yes. right? I want to backtrack yeah. and just hear, what is your story? How did you find out you had herpes? What was your first reaction? Walk me through your origin story. Okay, origin story of herpes. <laughs> <laughs> National Geographic special. So anyway, um, one day after being, I, I had at the time been with two people, I was single, and I started itching down there. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, maybe it's just an itch. Maybe I have something. The yeast infection. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But it kept getting itchy. And then finally, yeah, some cold sores. I had so did an you outbreak. Look? Oh, yeah, I looked down. Well, I, I, yeah, I was putting my makeup mirrors, whatever I could find, you know. <laughs> you find the small mirrors, you're on your bed, you're like, ah. But it wasn't like, I know that this is a conversation a lot of people have who have uh, vaginas that they don't look enough. And it's like a very confrontative experience when you finally see yourself. For me, it wasn't that. It was more like, okay, I got to go down there and see what's going on. And I noticed something off. Yeah, like there was a little, it was like a, it, it felt like a, it, it looks like a cold sore, but down there. What does that Little look, bumps. what does that mean? Like, so does that mean, because I know cold sores, like they've, I see them when they're scabby, but I don't think it's that before, area scabs. It, it, it's, it does scab. Oh. So, but it first just, it might seem just like, oh, maybe you have a pimple mm. and you think it's a pimple and then you're playing with it. Would it be where? Is it on? The it could eight? be either on your outer lips or inside your inner lips. Not like inside, inside. Mm. You could, you could usually see it. 
or you have to like flex yourself to see it, you know? Uh, so I just noticed something was a bit off and it was itchy. And then I went to my gyno and then they said, well, it looks like you have herpes, but we're going to do a test. And then the test came back and then it was positive. And then at the time when this happened, there wasn't as much, like the internet wasn't what it is today or social media or any of it. And so I took that and I didn't even have the confidence to go to those people who I'd been with to even ask them. Mm. That's how uncomfortable I really actually was with my, I guess you could say my sexuality and my sexual health. Where one, I wasn't even having conversations like that with people. I'd been in long-term relationships. So I just kind of start like, I hadn't been casual with people. And I didn't even know that process of having that conversation. It's just something that I never did. Yes. And I wasn't taught to have that conversation. We have these conversations now. It's normalized somewhat, but not really. I'm sweating. Ooh. So at the time, it was a very lonely experience. I didn't tell my, you know, my mom even, girlfriends. Like, I did not tell anyone. And I kept that to myself. And you can see how that's a heavy burden to carry mm. of something that you feel is wrong, that is not, not going to go away even though it is manageable and it does go away. You don't live with outbreaks. It's just like anything. Yes. Uh, but it was so uncomfortable the first time it happened. And I remember going to bath afterwards. They tell you to put Epsom salt and all that. And I just remember just crying to myself, just crying. Why me? You know, <laughs> getting into that mode. And then it went away. And then it was almost like, oh, okay. I went into a bit of a denial. And... I almost thought I had cured myself. I did all these things like, I don't have it, like affirmations. It's not there. And because it, never, it didn't really come back again, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm not someone with herpes anymore. Mm -hmm. And that continued for a long time. And I am not proud of that. And I think finally it came to a point where I had to take a deep look at myself and my relationships. Did you have another outbreak since? I had a here and there. And I had it and even while I'd been in monogamous relationships, I I would hide it. Not proud of that. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was crazy as in some of those relationships, I would say, well, they're not showing up for me. They're not fully, you know, there. Yeah. And yet I started asking myself, well, am I fully there? Am I fully showing up the way I want to be? Like, look, everything's a mirror for what you're putting out there. That's such a great point, yes. Right? And so it was easier kind of as I was younger and going through that, but as I got older and it became clear, okay, I want to find that person I want to start a family with, get married to a partner yes. for life. I finally confronted the fact that I needed to deal with this and, and really understand the trauma because it is a trauma, a physical, mental, and emotional trauma. And I'd never dealt with it. Not once in therapy had I brought it up. You didn't and, even tell your therapist. I didn't even tell my therapist. <laughs> that's how much uh, in denial I was. And, that, like, and that's how much I, shame is around this. It was my deep, dark secret. I said I was taking it to the grave. Like I was like, but then it became obvi more obvious as I was learning about these spaces and working on myself, my personal growth, really taking accountability for my life. 
I realized this is a major thing that I had not processed properly or confronted properly. And I had to understand why. Mm -hmm. What did this diagnosis really mean to me as a person? Because as a diagnosis, once again, which is what the surprising thing, it's not a big deal. It's manageable. Mm -hmm. There's preventatives. There's like, when you get an outbreak, you take a pill, it goes away in five days. It's like anything. It's not ideal, but it's not going to kill you. But you know what will kill you is your mentality around it, Mm -hmm. your emotional health around it. And when I finally reconciled that of what I was feeding myself, the the hurt and pain I was keeping inside of me. Did you think about it every day? A lot of times. When it was, it was amazing. And sometimes I didn't think about it. And it was just like, oh, I haven't thought about it in a while. That's the thing I have. Okay. And then... What I, what I noticed is every time I would think about it or get anxious or stressful, just like a canker p- pops up where you get pimples, it would pop up. And so for me, a big part of coming to peace with, with it was also really being able to understand myself and my nervous system and like what actually brings me peace. So you could see how that's a, a huge, beautiful evolution. So there's a lot of beauty in this when I was ready to confront it. And my hope is it doesn't take people as long as it took me, but everyone has their own journeys. But in more people speaking out, they could realize, okay, I got this. And yes, I get to talk about it and feel it. It's not about keeping those feelings inside and process what this means to me. Because it could mean different things to different people depending on your socioeconomic backgrounds, your race, your gender, privilege, access to healthcare. I mean, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And so my hope is that the other side of this and and this experience for me has really forced me to look at myself and to understand my needs, understand what intimacy really means to me, consent, and also understand that it's okay to be rejected. Wow. I think that that is such a powerful sentiment that is unique and a fresh take. I want you to unpack that more. What does that mean? Okay to be rejected? Yeah. A big fear or in approaching this and sharing with people, specifically because I'm, I'm a cis hetero woman, men, my relationship with men was I won't be accepted and they're not going to want to be with me. And saying that now, I'm like, ugh. Well, F that, fuck that. Fuck those people. If they don't want to be with me, that they're lost. But in the moment and when I was going through it, it felt like the worst thing ever. The idea of looking someone in the face, in the eyes and saying, I have herpes. And it's not this one, it's that one. And it was the story I told myself of what they would do and how they would react. Now, that's not fair because that's an assumption. And a lot of people probably may, might not have reacted like that, but that was in my head what I thought because of maybe some of them would drop like, oh, are you clean? Or, oh my God. And that like that person ended up being with someone like talking about someone else's experience. And so when that happens and you're like, okay, maybe not like, and you just don't know how to navigate at that point. And you stay inside your head and inside your bubble. And ultimately in really looking at this for me, and when I went to therapy during COVID, I finally went, uh, you know, I've gone to therapy at different times, but this time it was because I had been in something that was bringing up a lot of anxious attachment for me. 
read the attached book. It's really good. <laughs> so I was, I was, it was bringing up a lot of anxious attachment. Um, and then also part of it was I wanted to get better at disclosing. And she was like, what's the worst that could happen? Well, he could say he doesn't want to be with me. And she goes, well, are you okay with that? Will you be okay if he doesn't want to be with you? And I was like, well, yeah, but it, it will hurt. She goes, are you, are you okay with dealing with hurt? Yeah, but how many of us want to escape that feeling? Right. Constantly. Yes. The discomfort of hurt. But then on the flip side of that, it's living in what feels like a lie. But then, yes. And that became, as I got to know myself more, that became worse. My integrity became more important than that. And as I started looking at my value systems, like I wasn't even as much as I felt I was pretty self-aware, but I didn't even understand my value systems. Like who am I as a person and who do I want to be? And what do I want from the person I'm with? And am I showing up to attract that person? And that's when I had to give, like, look myself in the mirror. And that's tough love when you say to yourself, okay, who's the person you want to be with? And you ask, am I showing up that way? Mm, you know, mm. I want someone who's transparent, who's loyal, who's in integrity, who wants to have these uncomfortable conversations. Am I having that? Am I doing that? I wasn't fully, 100%. So the growth was in saying, 100%, I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk. And in, in doing that and starting to show up fully, and you're not just showing up fully just for someone else. You're showing up fully for yourself. Or let's, let's step back. Betrayal in this case that happens when you don't disclose or you're not having these more intimate conversations. It's not just a betrayal to the person you're with. It's a betrayal to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because you are also assuming that someone's not going to love you for all of you. You're so, rejecting yourself. Yeah. You're basically, so then, yeah, let's get to the next layer of that. How much is it someone else's rejection versus what you've already done to yourself? That's, that's heavy to carry that and also to acknowledge that. That you've basically also been punishing yourself in the process. And I was doing that for years. And while I appear confident and like, I love myself, I preach self-love. I don't know. Like, that is, does not feel like self-love. For me, it was debilitating. I can't even explain it. And so when I started talking more openly about it, whether it be with people I was with, sexually or friends, family, I was telling everyone. I was like on the roof screaming, I have herpes. <laughs> that was part of my healing and part of my, I'm going to own this, this next level Shira that I want to be. Well, that means showing up as all of me and accepting that whether someone likes it or not or accept it or not. And so part of that for me was sharing my herpes diagnosis. And so I, was, I would experiment with sharing it with people and seeing their reaction and how did I feel if they reacted well or not, right? And like what that brought up in my body and, just, and starting to be okay with all of it mm. and love all of it. What was the range of reactions you got? Well, obviously for friends and people that love me, they're like, oh, well, yeah, there's some people that were like, wow, that's intense. <laughs> Are you okay? Or like, what is it like? Yeah, because a lot of people really don't know what it's like. There's other people who are older. It was like, herpes? Like, they grew up in the HIV AIDS crisis. They're like, that's it? So when I told my mom, she said, and she's probably listening to this, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. And that also hurt. That was a little dagger. Like, what do you mean? Well, you're very open about your sexual needs. You're very sexual. 
She didn't say that. Sorry, I feel like I make fun of her voice. But like in my head, that's what it felt like. And she would always talk to me when I when she saw me maybe hooking up with people. I would tell her, oh, I'm just dating this person. We hooked up or I was maybe back home and had a quick hookup, blah, blah, blah. She was like, oh, you're really, uh, you know, doing things casually. Yep. Yep. And listen, God bless her. But that, it's just, she comes from a different time, right? Yeah. So when she found out, she also, and, and also growing up, we would talk about STDs, but it was based on someone who she knew who had one and it ruined their life and their, thick, like, it was this nightmarish story of getting an STD. Which it can be. Which it can be. And you lived that. Yeah, but uh, I guess the nightmare stories were more what you could see. Which obviously- uh, Okay, less about the mental experience as a result of the stigma and more about how like physiologically- Oh, this, this, oh my God, this person, they did this and it ruined their uh, their face. They got acne all over. Like it was just this, these crazy stories I would hear. And of course you go on Google. Well, we all know not to Google things like that because you're going to see the extreme, which is real. And we all get to know this, but a lot of times it's not that, yes. right? And uh, And then- yeah, I mean, and then of course I told people that I was with and then I got the whole range from, oh, doesn't everyone have herpes? Even though they didn't. Did you have anybody say me too? I have, yeah. And that was a beautiful moment when it happened. I broke down. Actually, at every point I've kind of, at different points, depending on who I was with, I would break down crying, which showed me there was still lots of healing to be had because it felt like the weight was lifted. Like, okay, what are they going to say? Like just so much obsession over what this person is going to think about me versus knowing I'm okay. And that's something that I get to grow from and, and deal with. People pleasing validation. I mean, we already all, all have that. Add an STD or STI to it. Well, that's next level then. Because if you don't love yourself and then you add that to the mix, it makes it much more challenging. Right? Because you literally don't know what anyone's going to say about it. And so I did have someone I was with who ultimately didn't want to be in a relationship with me long term. And so when he found out, it wasn't worth it to him, the risk. And I got that. Did it hurt? Yeah. And I sat in that hurt. And, And that's okay also. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to feel loss or grief. It's okay to it, I, I would like to say it's not okay to feel not worthy and all that, but it happens. Mm-hmm. We're human. So as I went through my journey of that acceptance, I really believe that allowed me to attract the relationship that I'm in today. Because I was finally showing up fully as me, unapologetically, and saying the right person will show up and love me for all of me because I've finally accepted all Every of me detail. as well. I'm not compartmentalizing myself. Well, you might love this, 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 this. No, this is it. This is what I was born with. This is what I gained along the way. And it's all beautiful. It's all part of me. It's not like, and, and a lot of people who have um, SDIs will say, this is something I have. It is not me. But it's what I've picked up along the way. And it's been part of my story. But once again, I have so many other things that are part of me or who I am that it, are not that. Yes. And that's the important part. And that's the person that you are with or who will fall in love with you will know that. And as I was talking to people and saying, well, what if like it became like the scarlet letter? Like, well, I feel like I check all the boxes and this is the flag, the red flag. 
right? That is what herpes felt like for me. And imagine the limitation I put on myself. Like I put that on myself. No one even had to say that to me, but it was the, just the, the feeling and energy from what I knew the world thought of this and what I thought men thought of this was enough for me to create my own red flag of myself. And so when I was ready to say, well, no, that's just part of it. Do you think prior to your diagnosis, you would have reacted? Were you projecting what your reaction maybe, would and have maybe been? That was part, hey, that, maybe that was part of it. I myself wasn't educated. Because also it's so hard when you're in bed, you're making out, you're there to then go, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I have this. And to be like, you don't need to have an answer. You can take a moment. But when you're in person, that is challenging. So if you have the courage to do that, like that is amazing. And now, of course, I'm in a different place, but, you know, and and sharing this with my girlfriends, even my, one of my girlfriends said, oh yeah, I was with a guy once and we were hooking up and then he stops me saying, if we're going to do this right now, you should know I have herpes. And she's amazing and cool. So she was like, okay. And it was fine. But through telling my story, I've been now hearing all these different stories from people who are like, yeah, doesn't everyone have it? To some people who I know, and women in particular, who say my partner still doesn't know. Longtime partner to the point of marriage. And there's a lot of people living that way. At the end of the day, there's details about ourselves that we're not reminded of or we're not thinking about that we forget. There's parts of, of me course. that I haven't shared with Jared, for sure. But of I course. mean, they're not things that one would impact him and his health yeah. or his well-being in any way in particular. And two, they aren't things that I have on my mind. Because mm-hmm. I think that it's the weight of the guilt. It's so, it's, it's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're you feel guilty that you have it. And then you almost, your actions create more guilt around it. <laughs> and so then you make yourself feel like a more horrible person. And I, I've had to, through my growth around this, remind myself that I am a good person. I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I deserve self-compassion. I, I want to build that muscle and have forgiveness for myself and others. And that's what, you know, after I did that Quibi show, I felt very powerful and strong in it. And I, it, it, healing is nonlinear. And so when you asked me to do this again, it was almost like uh, my heart skipped. I felt that feeling in my gut, like, oh, is this maybe th- I shouldn't do this? Maybe this is putting myself out there too much. Maybe I had my practice run, that was enough. And I remember doing a voice note and almost crying. It brought up still more things and that's okay. And even today, before I came here, I went on a jog and after I jogged, I cried a bit to myself I, and I, I felt the, the sadness of the times I'd betrayed myself and others and reminding myself of forgiveness and what a sad thing, but also what a beautiful thing. How did you share with your current partner and what was their reaction? My current partner, we'd met through a friend. We were all friends. And then we went from the group friendship mode to the one-on-one friendship mode. And that's when we started to get to know each other. And it was over a month in COVID, which is like six months <laughs> or a year <laughs> in real life and non-COVID time. And so we got very close. And then when I went out of town and he met up with me. And at that point, I knew we start, we had acknowledged that we liked each other, that there was something here we wanted to navigate. And so he came up on a Friday night and we made out. At that point, I knew I was going to have to tell him, but we didn't have, we didn't do too much. So in my head, I go, okay, I still have some time. 
So the next morning, we're taking a shower. And I felt that we were probably going to have sex that day. And I said to him, I have something to tell you. We're in the bathroom, naked. (laughs) I don't know why I'm giving all these details. But it was a very vulnerable moment. And I say, I have herpes. And you need to know this before we're sexual together. And he's like, babe, okay. Thanks for sharing. I love you. It's all good. I love you. Oh, did he say I love you at that point? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but he... You felt loved. I felt loved. I felt acceptance. I felt it was okay. And I actually broke down. For me, it was a breakdown moment of feeling all those times that I'd been with people that I really cared about and ended up loving and having a lack of transparency there and a lack of feeling like I could show up fully, not because of them, just because of the pressure I put on myself and the story I was telling myself. It was like I saw all my relationships and everything I'd been through flash through my past, like right before my eyes. And then I was finally in this moment with this person that I saw could be someone who could be a future partner. This was like possibly the one And I said, wow, I've come such a long way. Shout out to Shira for her incredibly brave and inspirational story. You can find her on Instagram at Shira Lazar or on her website at shiralazar.com. Shira does wellness classes, virtual wellness classes, workshops, and retreats. She is a one-stop shop for so much inspiration and so much sound information. Uh, So go to shiralazar.com or check her out at shiralazar. Now I want to bring in somebody whose biography is so meaty that I might choke on it. So wish me luck in getting through it. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Welcome back. All right, let's do this. Dr. Ina Park is an associate professor of family and community medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, medical consultant at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Division of STD Prevention, and medical director of the California Prevention Training Center. She is also the author of Strange Bedfellows, which is an incredibly important book that blends science and storytelling and historical tales and real life sex escape. I told you guys I was going to get tripped up. Sexual escapades and interviews with leading scientists in order to erase stigmas attached to STDs and STIs like herpes. Chapter one of your book. Let me hold it up because you know I'm obsessed. Uh, Strange Bedfellows. It's a book that I just literally reference all the time. Chapter one actually is about herpes. Is that Mm -hmm. on purpose? It's called Killing the Scarlet H. It is completely on purpose. It was totally intentional because that is the STI for which I get the most questions, for which my patients are most concerned. When they get the diagnosis, they, you know, feel devastated often. um, And I think the stigma is way overblown. And so that's why I wanted to lead with that. And I just think like, let's put that in perspective. I mean, people, when they come out with an STI diagnosis, they get slut shamed. Like they're out there trying to be sex positive, trying to advocate, trying to normalize STIs. And they get slut shamed by people saying, you know, I've even had folks who are out on social media having people say like, you deserve to die. You know, you don't deserve to, you know, have a sex life because now you're unclean, whatever, infected, contaminated. And so, yes, people are hesitant. The more people we have like Shira, the more people we have out there who are saying, yes, I had an STI and I'm fine. 
You know what I mean? I'm living with it or I cured it and I'm fine. The more people we have like that, the better we're going to, you know, get in terms of cracking the nut around stigma. And, you know, so I tell people all the time, like, I've had at least one STI that I know of. I had HPV for a couple years, and and that's a, a super common STI that everybody gets. And herpes is right up there in terms of how many people have it. And, you know, in fact, as you know, Shan, more than half of us in this country have at least one type of herpes. So why are we going to go around slut-shaming people for something that most of us have? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so scenario, you're at a dinner party and someone is talking about someone that they just were about to hook up with and they said, yeah, but you know, I found out that person had herpes. And then somebody across the table is like, guffaw, they had herpes? What did you do? How did you react? That's so terrible. Are you safe? What would you respond with? So I would start with my actually speech and I would say, hey, actually... Do you know that most people actually have one form of herpes and you probably have herpes and you may or may not realize it? And the other thing I would say to them is, you know, just so you know, whoever you're sleeping with, you're more likely to get someone, you're sorry, you're more likely to get herpes from someone who doesn't know their status and is walking around shedding virus than someone who actually knows their status, is taking care of themselves, is taking their medication and their suppression, is actually less likely to transmit to you because they're going to avoid having sex with you when they're having symptoms. Whereas other people who don't know their status are just having sex willy-nilly, and they're the people that are actually more likely to infect you. So that's why I tell people, have sex with people who are living with herpes. Do it. Because these are not the people, the people who are taking care of themselves and who are avoiding sex when they feel an outbreak coming on are not the people who are going to give you HSV. They are the people who don't know their status. Fascinating. Because interestingly, even you just said about like the antiviral drugs, I have heard that a lot of people don't have to continuously take them. Um, Is that, Mm -hmm. because I know obviously with PrEP, it's a lifelong engagement at this point that you have to keep continuously taking PrEP. And once you stop, the efficacy goes down. I have, I'm unaware that the same system was in place for herpes outbreaks. The first couple of years that somebody gets a herpes, after someone gets a herpes diagnosis, they are more likely to be shedding, more likely to have outbreaks. So those are the years where transmission risk is the strongest. And so Taking suppression every day during those years can actually, you know, greatly reduce, like it can reduce by 50% or more, the risk of transmitting to another partner. After that time period, if you're not having any outbreaks, then the choice to go on suppression is kind of like an optional thing. So if you do want to prevent transmission to partners, we do know that you will be shedding, even though you have no outbreaks, you'll probably be shedding, you know, for about three days a month for the rest of your life. And so you can take, you know, antivirals to just reduce that risk even a little bit more of transmission, but it's not something you have to do. With HIV PrEP, as you mentioned, which is kind of like a birth control pill for HIV, once you stop taking it, that's it. You're, you know, just as vulnerable as you were prior. It's not like when you're actually living with herpes or HSV where it starts, you know, it's really kind of... um prolific in the beginning, and then it starts to burn out, you know, over time. But again, someone who's living with HSV is going to be shedding a little bit for the rest of their lives, and they should expect that. I had no idea that there was actually down to the number of days. So do you know for the first two years what percentage of the time somebody might be shedding? So that's completely variable, Shan, because some people in that first year will have like six outbreaks. And so that means every time during the outbreak and leading up to the outbreak, that means they're going to be shedding virus. So, you know, and then some people actually have one outbreak and they never have an outbreak again. So this whole sort of guide for two years is kind of the average of, you know, what people experience. But there's a huge range of of people's experience, you know, that depends on someone's immune response. And then to be clear, the suppression really is about 
comfort. Um, and it is about preventing uh, transmission, but it's not about quality of life. No, I mean, well, some people, when they have outbreaks, it really messes up their quality of life. So they're taking it for that reason, but you don't have to do anything. You can have HSV, you know, herpes simplex virus, you can live with it and you don't actually have to take anything if you don't want to. And again, you just do it based on how your body personally is responding to the virus. So if you're one of those people that has had no symptoms, there's no reason you have to take medication unless you, you know, want to prevent transmission with a specific partner. But again, it's it's an optional thing. It's not like when you're living with HIV. If you don't take medication, you will get sick and then eventually, you know, you can get a life-threatening illness. So it's, you know, it's not on that level. What level is it on? So I know in terms of, like you said, it's, it is quality of life and it is the social stigma around herpes is massive, but are there any other health complications that somebody with herpes has to be mindful of? So I think if you're living with herpes, um, you know, if you're a a person who can become pregnant and you become pregnant, then, um, you know, in that last trimester before the baby is born to take suppressive medicine to prevent transmission. But otherwise, it's really, there aren't any long-term health effects, effects on fertility, effects on sexual function, sexual pleasure, you know, ability to orgasm. Let's talk about disclosure in light of that. In light of all that you just said, how important is disclosure? I mean, I think it's important. And one of the things that we have talked about in the past is like, well, when do I tell? You know, that's the the hard thing. Like, do I say it? Do I lead with it as soon as we start to get to know each other? You know, do I wait until we're already emotionally invested and then tell you? And these are hard decisions. And I will tell you sort of what I've learned from talking with many, many patients who've been living with herpes is that the time not to do it is when anyone's clothes are off or coming off, um, you know, have that conversation beforehand. And some people say, you know, because I have been rejected in the past, I, I like to tell people before I get emotionally invested. I mean, my personal opinion is nobody should be rejected because of herpes, given the fact that you're more likely to get it from someone who doesn't even know their status, who's, you know, walking around um, shedding asymptomatically. But The fact is, is that some people for their own protection, you know, to protect your own heart, you're saying, before I get too into this, I am going to um, disclose this. And if they can't deal with it, then I'm just going to walk. And to let them know if you are living with herpes, what you're doing to take care of it, you know, to let them know, hey, I've had herpes. Um, I'm not having any outbreaks, for example, for the past three years, and I'm taking medication every day. And that's your little mini TED talk, and that's all you can say. And I actually don't think it's your job for the person who's living with herpes. Like, it's not your job to educate people. I feel like people need to go out and educate themselves. But if you feel like you want to share information, you know, that's up to you. But um, I also feel like it's everybody's responsibility who's sexually active to get informed. And the flip side, if you're someone listening to this and one, you don't believe that you have herpes or two, you're part of the population who hasn't got tested and is unaware, which we can also discuss uh, the nuances around testing in herpes. But if you're part of that uh, percentage of the population and someone tells you that they have herpes, I'm hearing from you some of the questions that you should ask are, what are you doing to take care of it? To, you know, when was your diagnosis? Is there anything else they should ask that would be important information for them to make the best decision for their own health? I don't think so. I think those are the two main important things. The other thing I was going to say is there are some things not to say. So the first thing is like, first of all, watch your face. Like, 
practice, you know, like think about someone telling you this and practice keeping your face neutral and don't make a face. Don't say ew, you know, don't, you know, like curl your lip up or whatever, like you just smelled something bad. I mean, how you react when someone discloses to you is going to set the stage for possibly this relationship moving forward, right? Or not. So fix your face and watch your face. That's number one. Number two, number two is don't ask people where you got it. You know what I mean? Because most of the time people don't know. And we can talk about that too, Shan, about like trying to figure out where you might've gotten it from and who might've given it to you. But most of the time people don't know, and it's really not your business. You know what I mean? They could have gotten herpes from, you know, they could have had one partner in their whole life before meeting you. And that could be the person that gave them herpes. So don't make assumptions about the fact, like, how many people have you slept with? You know what I mean? Those kinds of questions that kind of allude to someone being super sexually active or like that kind of, you know, toy with the whole slut shaming thing, don't go there. So those are sort of my pieces of advice in terms of how you should react. The only good reaction to hearing that news is thank you for telling me. Mm-hmm. And either, and either like, and if you kind of like this person, be like, you know what, we'll figure it out. You know, that's, and like, you don't have to say like, okay, I'm ready to get it on right now. Just say like, I need, you know, I need a little bit of time to like think about this and I want to do some reading or whatever, but we'll work it out. Like if you feel like, you know, that maybe you could move forward with this person. And what are sexual activities that you can still continue on and do with that person while you are figuring it out and researching and reading? Like, does that mean intimacy has to stop until you gather more information or are there still some safe things people can participate in? Right. So if people have genital or anal HSV2, right, which is um, the kind that most often causes recurrent outbreaks, that is a virus that does not live very well in the mouth. So if you were to like give someone oral sex, you know what I mean? And let's say they don't, you're obviously not going to do it when they have an outbreak going on or if they feel like something's going on. So oral sex in general is not, you know, off the table, I would say. If you are really concerned about getting HSV2 in your genital area or your anal area and your partner discloses to you that they have HSV2 down there, that would be like something I'd say, well, let's use condoms. You know what I mean? I would actually say nothing is off the table. I love that. And so we lightly talked about the tracing element of things of people's initial response when they get a herpes. I mean, let's actually go from that standpoint. From when do you get transmission? Will you see your first outbreak? And is it logical or even beneficial to start at that point thinking backwards to who might be the person who passed it on to you? Yeah, Shan, don't go there. That's all I'm going to say to you is don't do it. You're tempted. Everyone's tempted to do it. I'm telling you that's the first question that everybody asks me is like, how did I get this and who gave it to me? Don't go there. And I'll tell you why. So, okay, let's say that you have done nothing with anybody and no one's been down there, hands, fingers, nothing, right? Or mouths or penises or whatever. And then you get your first, very first outbreak. And this is the first sexual contact of any kind you've had with anybody, Okay, then you know who gave it to you, right? That's really the only situation. If there's been more than one person down there at any time, it is going to be impossible to trace. And I'll tell you why. Because most of the time, once you get exposed, if you're going to have your first outbreak, you will often have it like within a week to 10 days of that initial exposure. But there are people whose first outbreak is so mild that they don't even know it's happening. Mm. And then they don't actually get they don't actually get an outbreak that they recognize for two years or three years later. So you're gonna blame it on the wrong person. So the only way to do that is you've heard of the PCR swab, right? Because we're all getting them for COVID, Shan. You can get a PCR swab 
if you have a lesion on your butt or your genitals. And if your blood test is negative, but that swab test is positive, then you can say, oh my gosh, the last person I slept with gave this to me. Fascinating. Yeah, if your blood test is positive and that swab test is also positive, you have no idea when you got it. And then to your point, I mean, from a public health standpoint, like I've had chlamydia. And when I had chlamydia, the question yeah. that they ask is, who are your last sexual partners? Because we have to right. contact them from a public health standpoint. Does that exist in the herpes right. community? Not at all. And in fact, you know, that that is such a great point, Shan, because when you have chlamydia or gonorrhea or trichomonas or mycoplasma, like any of these bacterial or uh, parasite infections, you should trace back and say, okay, who have I slept with in the past two months? It really could be any of those people and make sure all those people get treated. When it comes to herpes, again, because most of the time people can't pinpoint who was the person who gave it to me, there isn't this whole like sort of contact tracing, right? We know, we all know about contact tracing from COVID. We don't really have a system in place around that for for herpes. If there was a virus that over 50% of the population had, we should all know about it. So there is a virus that over 50% of the population had, and yet most people know very little information about this. So why is that and what can we do to change that? I mean, I think one of the things we need to do is we need to be testing more. And the reason why we're not testing more, Shan, is that the tests that we currently have right now are not very good. Mm -hmm. And they tend to give a lot of false positive results. And so providers like myself are kind of afraid to use them because you don't want to give somebody a diagnosis that, you know, isn't true and something that they need to disclose and live with psychologically for the rest of their lives. So the CDC just released new guidelines actually um, five days ago, and they actually recommended doing a two-step process now for making a herpes diagnosis if you're doing a blood test. You know, in the same way, Shan, that we used to do for HIV, where you would get a test and then you get a confirmatory test before you tell someone they have HIV. We have not been doing that for herpes, and the CDC now recommends that we do. So what my hope is, is that laboratories will adopt this two-step method, and then, you know, providers and clinicians like myself will then begin to order more testing. Because really, anybody who gets an STI or anyone who's at risk for STI should also be getting tested for herpes. But we're just not doing it until we get better tests. And I'm really hopeful that we're going to be getting those, you know, you know, in the next, like, coming year to two years or so because the CDC is now recommending we do um, this two-step process. I want to have, a to, in closing, a magic school bus moment where you take us through what exactly is herpes How does it enter and Mm -hmm. live in the body? Um, If we were to enter the body right now of somebody living with herpes, where would we locate it? And what would it be doing right now? Yeah. What would happen? Let's imagine two people um, like have, you know, having sex. I always imagine that all day long. I know you do. (laughs) I know you do. It could be two people having anal sex. It could be two people having vaginal sex. But anyways, skin is rubbing up against skin. And when that happens, as you know, there can be little like micro tears in the skin, which is why we always say use lube and make sure, you know, you're lubricated enough because that will reduce that. But let's say there's little tears happening in the skin. This tiny virus is getting in to that little tear in the skin and it's finding a nerve. You know, as you know, there's lots of sensory nerves down there. It's then going, traveling, it's actually the virus is traveling along the nerve and then it's going into your spinal cord and it's going to sleep for the most part. You know, most people don't recognize that they have herpes, right? So it's just sitting there. And, you know, if you actually end up having an outbreak, 
you will get a local reaction where the virus will start to, you know, replicate and multiply. And then you'll get, you know, as the cells get full of virus, then they're going to open up and cause a little sore. But let's say that doesn't happen for you and you're one of the majority of people where, you know, you don't notice anything. That virus is just sitting in your spinal cord, you know, down near the bottom where your pelvic nerves are. Something happens later on where you get stressed out or there's some sort of like trauma down there or whatever. The virus will actually travel back along the nerve, back to the skin surface at the original point where you actually got infected and it'll cause a sore there. So for people that get recurrent herpes, most of the time, the first outbreak, you'll get sores on both sides. And then in future outbreaks, you usually only get a sore on one side um, because recurrent outbreaks, you know, just tend to work that way. But again, you could be one of those people that never had an outbreak in the beginning. And then three years later, that virus travels back along the nerve and comes out on your genitals and appears. And you're like, what the hell? How did this even happen? Which is why it has the nickname cold sores, because of the fact that when you are immune compromised to some degree, that's when you're likely to see an outbreak. Yes. And, you know, some people for HSV-1 will just get it even if they get exposed to the sun. Um, But yes, any kind of stress, any kind of cold or other illness will absolutely, you know, bring it out. What's a really, that's an asshole of a bug. It's like, you're already having a tough time. Let me come and fuck with you some more. I know. And you know what? And of course, like none of us want it. But again, none of us want COVID either. Like we have to live with these things. And unfortunately, they affect the, you know, the parts of our body that we use for the greatest pleasure and, you know, and enjoyment. So it's just, we just got to accept it and learn how to live with it. But my point is, is that this virus is super good at hiding from your immune system. Because if your immune system could see it, it would go hell no and get try to get rid of it, right? But it's very, very good. It's very good at avoiding detection from the immune system, which is why people are able to live with it for 20, 30 years or whatnot. Which is actually interesting. That's something I heard about. An effective virus actually does the least amount of damage because if it That's causes right. a lot of damage and it kills the host, then there's no way for it to spread and survive. So an effective, it's yeah. like a it's like a bad guest, right? Like a like a a family member who wants to live with you. It's your unwanted cousin. If they're loud and obnoxious and annoying, you're going to kick them out. But if they just kind of hide out in the attic and keep quiet and just eat a little bit of food at a time, you might just like ignore them and let them stay there for extra couple months. Yeah. And that's why we've had this virus around for like 3 million years is what um, scientists have hypothesized. So it is so clever at just hanging out and not causing enough ruckus that you're going to throw it out on the street you know what I mean? Your immune system just says, fine. Just, just live in the here. attic. Just just live there. And now I got to deal with you. So herpes is not the scarlet H. It's the annoying cousin. It, exactly. And that's how we should look at it. And not like, not my life is over, but now, man, I have this like annoying thing I have to deal with. And I have to tell people when they come over, my cousin is in the <laughs> attic, but it's fine. <laughs> I haven't seen them in years, but in case they come exactly. down, you should know. There is really nothing else to say other than. And Jared, if I should never clap again on episodes, please let me know in the future. Uh, But I just want to say a massive round of applause to Shira and Dr. Ina Park for really slam dunking this episode. I have listened to it several times. I was obviously there during the interviews and I'm just blown away each and every time. And if you agree and found so much value in these women's voices, please consider following them 
Dr. Ina Park is on Instagram. I pressured her into doing it and she'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, but I'm proud to say that I peer pressured her because she has gone on to educate so many people on that platform. You can follow her at Ina Park MD. Also, don't forget to follow Shira on Instagram at Shira Lazar. And while you're in the mood to be pressing on buttons, if you haven't already, stop on over to at Shan Booty. That's booty with a D, not a T, and hit that button because that's how I am giving updates about the podcast, call outs to get your submission and your voice heard, and just in general, furthering the dialogues that we're having here on this podcast. So again, I'm a part of not just your day, but of your week. And you're a part of not just my day, but my week as well. And because we're furthering our relationship, some sexy music would be nice right now. Because we're furthering and deepening our bond, and I feel like we're getting to a place where we're finally finding our rhythm, I would love to ask a favor of you. This podcast's success really does lie in not just you listening, which is huge and massive and thank you and shout out to you, um, but also in you engaging. And one of the ways that you can engage that's really impactful is by going to Apple, downloading or subscribing to the podcast to get the download every single week. Um, But further than that is going and giving it a five-star review. That's all I wanted to ask. I also want to just wish you a great, sexy, connected, cool week. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, lovers and friends. Yeah, and I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, Lovers and Friends is executive produced by Shared Entertainment, Shamboodram, and Lauren Morrison. Also produced by Stitcher's Jackie Sojiko, Two West Entertainment, and Workhouse Media. Our mixing engineers are Brendan Burns and Marcus Hom. The Lovers and Friends theme song is produced by Sean Ross and performed by Jared Brady, who also does the scoring and sound design. Jasmine Henley-Brown is the executive producer at More Sauce, and this podcast is powered by More Sauce from Stitcher. 